Psalm 139. We're going to title message tonight is Search Me, O God. One of the responsibilities we have as Christians when we approach the Lord's Supper, according to the Apostle Paul, the Bible says, let me read this to you, we turn to it later on. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread or drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of Christ. But he says now, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat the bread and drink of the cup. So one of the responsibilities you and I have when we come to the Lord's table is self-examination, to make sure there's nothing in our lives that makes us unworthy to partake of this special time together. And so in Psalm 139, I like to look at several things. First of all, there are three kinds of sin I like to mention here this evening that we need to be aware of. First one is those that I am aware of myself. That as an individual, all of us may have things in our life that is wrong, we know is sinful. Other people may not know anything about it, but we do. And so it's something we need to keep in mind when we approach the Lord's table. Th- those sins that I'm aware of, others may not be or not. The second one is those that other people are aware of that we may be blinded to. Sometimes Christians have blatant sin in their life they're unaware of. They don't know about it. But everybody else is. So the first sin is the one that you know you're doing, that you know is wrong, that many times we justify or rationalize because it's not that bad. Everybody else is doing it, yet we know it's wrong. The second one is others people are aware of that we may be blind to, but other people definitely see it. The third one is this, those only that are God aware of. How many realize that God is aware of all our sins? And we're going to see that tonight in our passage of Scripture. In Psalm 139, David bears out two attributes of God, two things about God that only he uh, has, as far as only things that exist in God himself. And the first one is the omniscience of God. The omniscience of God. Look in chapter 139, look in verse 1, please. David said, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me, Then he talks about how God knows us. And I hope you write this down and fill in the blanks on your sheet. First of all, the Bible said God knows our thoughts. God knows our thoughts. Everything we think, God knows about. Many times Christians have a pure life by their actions, but their heart, their thoughts are very impure before God. And so God knows our thoughts. Look in verse 2 of Psalm 139. He says, Thou knowest my downsetting and my uprising, and understandeth my what? My thoughts are far off. God understands exactly what you're thinking. Even right now, what you're thinking. Maybe you're thinking, Pastor, I wish you'd hurry up and get done. I want to go home. God knows that. And so he knows our thought. That part of us that nobody else knows about, God knows very clearly. He knows our thoughts. Next, letter B, he knows our ways, our actions. Look in verse 3. It says, Thou compassed my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. This is talking about the omniscience of God. I forgot to share. What does that mean, omniscience? It means all-knowing. Only God is all-knowing. I always tell my class and my son's class, did it ever occur to you nothing ever occurs to God? Does it surprise you nothing surprises God? He knows everything. 
He's all-knowing. So he knows our thoughts. He knows our ways. He's acquainted with all our ways, not some of them, not most of them, but all your ways. And let us see, God knows our words. God knows our words. Look in verse 4. He said, For there's not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest all together. So because God is omniscient, he knows our thoughts, he knows our ways, our actions, he knows even our words. And before David could frame a word on his tongue, God was thoroughly familiar with it. He knows what he's about to say. In verse 5, he said, Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thy hand upon me. This is the idea that God is on every side of him that he could not escape in any direction that he is like a garrison besieged the city so that he had no way to escape. And look what he says in verse 6 about this. He says, Such knowledge, the fact that you know everything about me, my thoughts, my ways, my words, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain to it. The word wonderful means incomprehensible. In other words, we cannot fully understand how God knows that. Because our thoughts, I mean, our knowledge is so limited, but God's is not. So Christian, when you approach the Lord's Supper tonight, realize he knows all your thoughts, he knows all your ways, and he knows every word that you say. There's nothing in your life that God does not know. Though other people may not know it, God does. The next attribute of God mentioned here is not only the omniscience of God, but the omnipresence of God. What does that mean, omnipresent? He's everywhere. There is no place that God is not. Everywhere present. Look in verse 7, please. First of all, David said, uh, when verse 7, he said, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? He asked the question, Lord, where can I go that you're not? And the answer is nowhere. Someone said, you know, many Christians do things in the sight of God they would not dare do in the sight of men. Because when you think you do something no one sees, my friend, God sees it. He knows it. In fact, he's right there. And so basically, there's no place to run or hide from God. He's everywhere. In verse 8, he said, if I flee to heaven, thou art there. In fact, he used the word, if I ascend to heaven, thou art there. So if we go to, of course, we know that he's in heaven. But basically, as a Christian, if you go to heaven, guess who's there? God's there. Now look in verse, the middle part of verse 8. He said, if I flee to hell, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. These two represent all the worlds above and below. And the idea is that neither in neither direction, above or below, can you flee from God. He is everywhere. Then he goes on to say, number three, he said, if I flee to the bottom of the sea, thou art there. In verse nine, if I take my wings in the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall uh, uh, hold me. Basically, interesting. You know, if you ever do a study on cremation, cremation was developed by people that wanted to flee from God. And they thought one way they could avoid the judgment of God is by cremating their body. And usually when they did that, they'd take the ashes and they sprinkle it upon, out in the ocean 
and thinking it would be dispersing. They never stand before God. But notice he says here, if I flee to the very bottom of the ocean, if all your ashes go to the ocean, guess who's down there? God is there. So basically, David is coming before God. He says, God, you know everything. You know my thoughts. You know my words. You know my ways. And he says, God, you not only know everything, you are everywhere. If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to hell, you're there. If I go to the bottom of the earth, you are there. And basically, in verse 11, he said, there's no place to hide. There's no place to hide where man uh, said where no man can see. He said, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light unto thee. In other words, when there's darkness, well, you and I cannot see a thing. My friend, God sees everything. The darkness is like a, a light in God's eyes. He says, there's where no man can see. Verse 12, God sees everywhere. He says, yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as a day, and the darkness and the light are both alike unto thee. Many times Christians will go in the dark and think nobody sees, nobody ever find out what I'm doing. My friend, God sees everything. And so you and I need to realize that when you make a decision to do something, realize God knows it. And when you do it, he's right there with you. And so what a motivation it is for clean living. Because you may be uh, a place that no man can see you. But my friend, God sees everything. Then he concludes all this. Go with me all the way over to verse 23 now. Psalm 139, verse 23. Because God is omniscient, because God is omnipresent, then David says this. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. My friend, man does not know your heart. The Bible says man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. He knows what you're thinking. So David, in his desire to be pleasing to God, he said, God, you search me. He said, there may be sins in my life no man knows about. There may be sins that I don't even know about, everybody else knows about. But there's nothing in my life that you're not aware of. So he says, God, you search me. Search me, uh, and the word search, that means to thoroughly investigate. You know, one of the things said about David is not said about anybody else in the Bible. It said, David said, is a man after my own heart. And I think we see an inkling why that's true. He says, God, I want you to search me. If I search myself, I may overlook things. If I look at my life, I may not see things that are wrong. But God, since you're omniscient and I'm, uh, I'm not omnipresent, I want you to search me and, and, uh, and know my heart. Then he goes on to say, in, uh, search me and know my heart, and it says, and try me and know my thoughts. So here he is calling upon the God who knows all, sees all, everywhere. He said, God, I want you to search my heart. I want you to try me and see if there's any wicked way in me. And the reason, in verse 24, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Now, if you would please let go of Psalm 139, go with me now all the way over to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. A verse I quoted earlier here. 1 Corinthians 11, look with me again in verse 28. Here's one of the responsibilities of the believer when we approach the Lord's Supper. 
And Paul said to the Christian, he said, better let a man examine who? Himself. <laughs> we are very good about examining other people. We're very good at noticing what other people do. But when it comes to the Lord's Supper, it's not your responsibility to examine your neighbor, your spouse. It's your responsibility to examine yourself. But how many realize we can look at ourselves and see nothing wrong? So we need to call upon the God who knows all and sees all. And do like David said, David, you search me. You try me. Since the one who knows all and sees all, he is the best one to do that. And so, and the reason why, it says in, back in verse 27, but whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of Christ. Verse 29, for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh, and notice the strong word here, damnation to himself. The word damnation is not talking about dying and going to hell. This means judgment. Look very please. When you come to the Lord's Supper, God, the purpose of the Lord's Supper is fellowship with God, to have an intimate time with God. And what will hinder that is sin. And so God says through the Apostle Paul, Christian, when you approach this time, examine your life. Make sure there's nothing in your life that's displeasing to God. And if you don't trust yourself like David didn't trust himself, Lord, you search me, you try me. See, it make a way. Because if you partake of the Lord's Supper with sin in your life, you are bringing the judgment of God upon you. It's not talking about dying and going to hell. The Christian never has to worry about hell. But it's talking about chastisement. So, my friend, this is a serious time that when you come to the Lord's Supper, you need to come with serious uh, idea, Lord, I want to be everything in my life to please you. My thoughts, my ways, my words, everything to please you. I don't want anything to hinder fellowship. And so what we're going to do, if you would please, right in front of you, in the chair in front of you, you'll find one of these. You take that out, please. In just a moment, we're going to the, notice here the top part of it is juice. The bottom part has a little wafer in there. And these are the elements of the uh, Lord's Supper tonight. But before we partake of this tonight, I want to have a time of prayer, a time where you talk to God and you call upon him to do what David did. Lord, you search me. That you come with a serious attitude, Lord, I, I want to make sure this time, there's nothing in my life is hindering my fellowship with you. I don't want to come the time and bring your chastisement upon me, so I want to come with a clean and pure heart. And so we're going to ask the pianist to play in just a moment. As the pianist plays, I want you to pause, and you ask God, you, the Bible says, let a man examine who? Himself. And I hope that you're like David. You realize, you know, I can do that, Lord, but I might overlook something. So ask the Lord to search you. Ask the Lord to try you. And I, I guarantee you, if there's something in life that's not right, the Spirit of God will point it out. Because he wants fellowship with you. And so let's pause as the pianist plays. Let's just have a little time, a serious time with God. And you examine yourself, asking God to search you and try you. And bring anything, if he brings something to your attention. By the way, there may be something you're doing you already know is wrong but you may be doing something you don't realize is there. So if you know you're doing something wrong, now's the time to make it right. 
First John said, if we confess our sin, he is faithful in what? Just to cleanse and forgive us of our sins. So now is a time of confession. But if he brings something to your attention you don't realize there, also confess that. And he will cleanse you of that. So before we partake of the Lord's Supper tonight, let's pause a moment. I'll give you a few moments to, get, to do that. And when we get through that, then I'll have a word of prayer. Then we'll go to the supper. So let's bow together, please, at the piano, please. Our Father, we want to have a very intimate time with you. We want this time to be a time of sweetness, of fellowship. Lord, you know and you brought to our attention that sin can hinder that. Sin can bring, bring your chastisement upon us. It can break our fellowship with you. It can hinder our relationship with you. So, Father, we approach the Lord's Supper tonight. We want all our sin to be cleansed. We want to come as clean vessels that nothing will hinder our walk and relationship with you. That this will be a very special time. And so, Father, we just spent the last few moments acknowledging our need of thee to search us and try us to see if any wicked way in us. And, Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that still cleanses us from all sin. So, Father, now bless our time as we partake of the elements for us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you take out this little, this little thing here. We're going to start with the bottom part, the bread part, okay? And so if you would go ahead and peel back that little cover of the bottom so you can get access to the wafer. Let me explain this to you. This wafer, as we partake of it, does not become the body of Christ. It is symbolic of the body of Christ. It's a time we can remember what he did for us physically. After we do that, we're going to turn it over and partake of the juice. It does not become the blood of Christ. It is symbolic of the blood of Christ. I say that because some churches have different views of that. But if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, the apostle Paul said, For I have received the Lord, that which I also have delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night which was betrayed, took the bread. And when he given thanks, he break it, and he said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in what? Remembers me. So as we partake of this little wafer, it's our way of remembering what Christ has done for us. So we need to do this in remembrance of him. Dear Lord, we do thank you for this representation of your body that was broken for us, Lord. And we thank you for being able to remember that, that 
that you died for us, that we can be saved, Lord. Bless us, Lord, this evening. We pray in your name. Amen. All right, if you turn that little element over, on the other side we have the juice here, and not to take away from the service, I, be careful when you peel that off. Hold it firmly, because last time I peeled it off, I flipped it out and spilled it all over my pants. So, so if you don't like it, hold it firmly and peel back the little top part. Again, this is nothing but grape juice, but it symbolizes the blood of Jesus Christ. And so look what it says, if you would please, now with me in verse 25. Paul said, after the same manner, also he took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do as often you drink it in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you and uh, just to look to you in awe and respect of what you've done for us and uh, for this way that you've loved us and in a way that nobody else could love us. And we just thank you so much for allowing Jesus' blood to be shed for us, uh, to cleanse us from all of our sins. And we just pray tonight that, you would, that we would allow you to search us and to remember that you know our hearts and you know our thoughts and uh, you know everything that we do that displeases you. And we just pray that that would pain us and we would think about those things continually and ask forgiveness and uh, just want to keep in a right fellowship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.